Church, let me invite you to open the scriptures with me this morning to the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. As we continue looking at uh, this New Testament letter together, we come to the final chapter of the letter, and we'll look at the first part of chapter 6 today, and then we'll finish up the letter next Sunday. And if you don't have a Bible, I would certainly encourage you to use a pew Bible. You can find this text on page 962, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So, beloved hymn says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my all. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm to the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease, my comforter, My all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Let me ask you this morning, is Jesus your all in all? Is Jesus the source of your ultimate hope? Are you standing on the solid ground of faith in the one Lord and one Savior, Jesus Christ? Is he enough for you? Or are you depending on someone or something else for confidence and for comfort? You know, we humans are quite prone to forgetfulness. We don't just forget small things either. We forget anniversaries. We forget uh, birthdays. We forget meetings from time to time. We forget doctor's appointments. Uh, We even forget where we just put the car keys. We often need reminders to help us with what's important. In many ways, holidays are reminders. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, an annual holiday that reminds us to remember the many many men and women who have died serving in our, our nation's military. We're reminded that freedom isn't free. We're reminded that heroes have given their lives. We're reminded that many families continue to grieve. We need reminders. And the same is true when it comes to our faith. We need to remember that he is necessary, that Jesus is necessary, and that Jesus is enough. See, this is the reminder and the warning that Christians in Ephesus needed in the A.D. 60s, when the Apostle Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy instructing him to stay there in Ephesus and to steer the church that had veered off course back on track to encourage them, to remind them, to warn them to depend on Christ alone for their sufficiency, for their life, for their direction, for their guide, for their satisfaction. And Paul's charge in our text for today is both poignant and pointed So let's look at it together. As you find your place in 1 Timothy chapter 6, let me invite you, as is our custom, to stand for the reading of God's word. Let's hear from the Lord today. The Spirit says through Paul, These are the things you are to teach and insist on. Verse 3, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching... They are conceited and understand nothing. 
They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's bow in prayer. And Lord God, we do thank you this morning for your word. We express our belief in you and our submission to you. Lord, speak to us now through your word. Thank you that your spirit is present, alive, and active. Guide us into all truth. Help us to understand it and apply it to our lives as your people living today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Well, 1 Timothy, this uh, letter, the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy, is a blueprint of sorts for a gospel-centered church. Jesus' two most uh, famous teachings, undoubtedly, are the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The Great Commission is Jesus' charge to his followers to go and to preach the gospel, to make other followers of, of him. And his great commandment is his summation of the scriptures. Love God and love your neighbors. Really, two commandments in one. And I think oftentimes our tendency is to press into one of these. The commission or the commandment. To either make everything about preaching and evangelism for the sake of conversions or to make everything about loving the hurting, the abused, the outcast, the lonely, the hungry in the name of Jesus. But Jesus says we cannot divorce the two. To love our neighbors is to tell them the truth. To follow Jesus is to care for the hurting in the way that Jesus does Demonstrating truth by actions that reflect the love of our Savior. To honor Jesus is to take his message seriously. All of it. And not to minimize it or add to it or to contradict it. You see, Jesus is not simply a nice man or a good moral teacher. He's not a magician or a madman. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Lord of all. He is the Savior of the world. He is God in the flesh and the cornerstone of the church. Meaning without Jesus, the church collapses. The moment that a church begins to to veer from Jesus, to no longer worship Jesus, it ceases to be a church. And when churches began to devote attention and time and resources to things other than the glory of Jesus Christ, then they veer in an unhealthy direction and need to be confronted and reminded of the truth. And I think that's what we see taking place here 
Through this letter, Paul writes to Timothy for the church at Ephesus. Paul writes and he reminds Timothy to instruct the church to this end, reminding them that healthy churches submit to Jesus. Healthy churches submit to Jesus. They recognize that he is king, that he is the authority, that he is front and center, that he is what they are about. Churches that honor Christ recognize that what he says goes because of who he is. Paul says, verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. Sound instruction is literally healthy doctrine. Friends, all healthy doctrine conforms to the gospel of grace, the message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This is the message Jesus preached. This is the mission Jesus accomplished. He must be the main character of the church, for the church is built upon him So we must always contend for a Christocentric focus in the church. Christ-centered. A Christocentric focus in the church. All that we say and do as Meadowbrook Baptist Church must be about Jesus. Just a bit of a side note here. I want to... Express my heart to you. Uh, we, we fly the flag high, the American flag high, every day out in front of our church, acknowledging that we are part of a great nation, that we are citizens of a good nation. Certainly not a perfect nation, but a nation where we have freedoms, and that we have experiences unlike many throughout the world. But I'm even more thankful for that after a recent trip to another part of the world where such is not the case. I said before, and I'll say again, as believers, we ought to be the very best citizens of our nation. We ought to love and pray for the leadership of our country. We ought to honor those that have served. We ought to remember them. We ought to be filled with gratitude for what many have fought for and for what God has provided for us. In fact, I'll be going home today and would have already done this, but if been out of town the last few days and putting patriotic wreaths on the front door in celebration and remembrance of Memorial Day. But even so, this is one reason that when we gather here, when we assemble for worship, when we assemble specifically as a primary time of worship as a body of believers, we don't wave the flag high in here because we devote our attention, our full attention and pursuit to Jesus Christ. We gather as a church. Our primary identity is found as, as followers of, of Jesus. And Paul says here, these are the things you are to teach and insist on, verse 2. It goes on. Those who have wandered from a, a Christocentric focus, and that's what we want to be about as a church, are no longer submitting to the King of Kings, but are chasing after the teachings of, of mere men. That men whose intentions may be good, at least in the beginning, yet according to 1 Timothy chapter 6, who think too much of themselves, he says they are conceited and they understand nothing. 
Once again, Paul's to the point. It doesn't hold anything back. He's direct. They're conceited. They understand nothing. There's no room, he says, for power plays in the church. There's no place for domineering leadership. There's no place for the idolization of any particular individual, be it a persuasive preacher or a wealthy member. For the only human with unbridled authority in the household of God is the God-man, Jesus Christ himself. And unhealthy churches like those in Ephesus have forgotten that Jesus is central. And this is why I believe that, that let's just all overlook the controversial stuff and get along mentality doesn't always work because our faith is built upon Jesus and his word. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Right? All, all other ground is Sinking sand. He is, verse 3, our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning he is both master, he's Lord, and he is Messiah. So what we do here, what every church does when they gather, must be about him. And the glorious news, church, is this is not like the young child who attends a friend's birthday party and doesn't understand why he can't blow out the candles and open the presents. No, this is unlike that. For those who know Jesus, recognize that exalting Him, that focusing on Him, that deferring to Him is the very thing that truly satisfies. Elsewhere, I think Paul expresses this in his own life. He convincingly declares that his human accolades, impressive though they may be, are worthless when compared to the joy of knowing and living for King Jesus. He writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, uh, Paul says, he says, but whatever were gains to me, he's talking about his religious prestige, his religious position in his day, which among the Jews wasn't just a religious thing, it spilled over into influence in society. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider it lost for the sake of of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Of course, those things, those human accolades, that position in the eyes of, of men means nothing to me compared to the glory of of knowing Jesus Christ and following after him. Can you hear the marked difference between uh, Paul's perspective and that of the false teachers in Ephesus in the first century? You see, the perspective of Paul post-conversion clashes quite hard with the moralistic approach of the false teachers and that of religious practitioners of every major world religion or belief system in their day or in our day. We We are not... Our own saviors. You you can't earn heaven. We can't do it. Self-sufficiency equals insufficiency. There's only one savior. And when our hearts become captivated by his love for us. Then we become detached from other false saviors. You see when we submit to Jesus. Our course becomes clear. And our quarrels. As a people began to dissipate as we practice singular devotion to Jesus Christ. Because he is sovereign and because he is sufficient. Let's contend. Let's contend. Like Paul says, 
to Timothy, contend. Let's contend for a Christocentric focus in the church. And let's crave spiritual unity in the church. Let's crave spiritual unity in the church. The scriptures say here that these misguided teachers had an unhealthy interest in controversy. Chances are we we all know people like this. An unhealthy interest in, in fighting over words. In division, they liked division, verse 4, because they liked power. Sophisticated bullies, we might say, belittling others to make themselves feel better and brighter. Speaking to the leadership of the church, charged with leading and teaching the church to know and to follow Jesus, yet promoting division and friction that denies any sort of experiential knowledge of the love of Jesus, a love that the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that does not delight in evil. This is Christian love. This is love that the Lord shows us, that he reveals to us. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See, when Jesus rules the hearts of his people, they'll be known for unity. Paul says healthy churches submit to Jesus. And secondly, the healthy Christians are satisfied in Jesus. Healthy Christians are satisfied in Jesus. Those misleading the church had drifted. They had drifted from Jesus and had begun running after two false gods, money and power. They equated domineering and divisive leadership with opportunity for personal gain. And Jesus says there's no place for such among his people. Because they failed to see the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, they got greedy for other things, and greed is loss. Greed is loss. You see, if I'm greedy, by definition, I'm not satisfied. Never satisfied. Discontent with what I have. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Paul goes on. His words in verse 7 echo Job's words in response to the sudden loss of all that he had, both family and possessions. And Job said, Job chapter 1, verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I would depart. I would depart with nothing. I have nothing. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. John D. Rockefeller gained a monopoly in the oil refinery business in the latter part of the 19th century in our nation, uh, eventually controlling uh, some 90% of oil in the United States, uh, amassing tremendous wealth, great wealth. He became the wealthiest man of his time. Many still believe today the wealthiest American of all time. But in 1937, when Rockefeller died. His assistant was asked the question, well, how much did, how much did he leave behind? The man wisely responded, he, he left it all behind. Left it all back. You can't, you can't take it with you. And left unchecked, the lure of riches clouds our vision and results in destructive compromise. I think that's what Paul is saying here in verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. 
Their goal is riches. They compromise in other ways. They fall into temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You see the desire for more, more money, more fame, more power, more stuff has plunged people into ruin and destruction ever since the fall of humankind. A deep desire for money is not a rich people problem. It's not a poor people problem. It spans all socioeconomic classes. But as people living in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, we Americans have perhaps been, perhaps, not all of us, but as a whole, perhaps been more plagued by the temptation to continually long for more stuff than any other nation in history. And many of us need to repent of materialism. Many of us need to repent of materialism. One author says materialism is like seawater. Seawater has a high concentration of salt, so the more you drink, the thirstier you get. It never satisfies, right? The Bible warns against craving material possessions, yet so many of us are rather quick to entertain once, never satisfied with what we have, always eager to use the resources that God has entrusted to us for our own personal gain. And if I'm being honest with you today, and certainly want to be honest, I, I like stuff. But my struggle here is probably not so much that I continually want more stuff, but that I want more security. I think my struggle here is that I'm more like the rich fool in Luke's gospel who wants to stash more away, who wants to build bigger barns. And sit back and take it easy and never worry about anything. Except that our Lord says such a life is a wasted life. Jesus says such a self-centered life ignores my selflessness for your sake. Such a life misses me and my gospel. Last Thursday marked the 280 year anniversary of John Wesley's conversion. Extraordinary account, the way that John Wesley describes his conversion that day, hearing the word of the gospel and feeling strangely warmed by the message and overwhelmed by the grace of God. Wesley went on to be used mightily by the Lord to reform the Church of England. In fact, his followers later began the Methodist Church. What we know now as the Methodist denomination ultimately stems from the life and work of John Wesley. Wesley uh, would travel thousands of miles every year and passionately proclaim God's grace. Wesley expressed deep concern during his ministry over what he perceived to be a lack of biblical stewardship among his followers. And regarding uh, money, he, famous, he famously encouraged believers to, to gain all they could, make all you can, so that you can save all you can. And by that he meant live simply, so that you can give all you can for the glory of Jesus Christ. But he didn't just preach this message. This was the message that Wesley practiced. In fact, early in his ministry, he was making 30 pounds a year and determined that he could live on 28 pounds a year. And so he gave two pounds away for the work of meeting the needs of others. Well, the next year, his salary doubled. He made 60 pounds a year, but he continued to live on 28 pounds a year and gave 32 pounds away a few years later, he was making 120 pounds a year, continued to live on about 30 pounds a year, and gave some 92 pounds away for the sake of 
of ministering to others. See, Wesley feared laying up too many treasures on earth. Supposedly, he told others that if he had more than 10 pounds in his possession at death, then they could call him a robber. Church Wesley understood the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I think he concurred with Paul that greed is loss, yet godliness is gain. Godliness is gain. But godliness, verse 6, with contentment is great gain. What is godliness? According to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, godliness is a way of living that springs from life in Jesus. In other words, a godly life is a life lived according to the person and work of Jesus Christ. A life that acknowledges the lordship of Jesus and submits to Him. For He reigns over all. A life that trusts in Him. That trusts the words of Christ and the gift of Jesus. He is sufficient. So true and proper ministry cannot be motivated by position or power or prestige or wealth. But by God's grace and the gift of eternity in Him, the God they live for the glory of Jesus and are content in Him because they know that this world will soon fade away. You see, there is one who is better than money. Friends, there is someone whose gift of grace outweighs and outlasts any power, pleasure, riches, prestige, or fame that we could earn or experience here in this life. So let's not settle for those other things. Let's not settle for position, for power. Let's not settle for materialism. Let's settle into the life of Jesus and depend upon Him. Let's be satisfied in the incomparable love of our God. That is godliness with contentment. You see, when you get God, you don't, you don't need anything else. So how do we do that? How do, how do we combat the continual craving for more stuff, because the truth is we're all prone to this. We do so by delighting in the love of Christ. Delight in the love of Christ. We cease searching for fleeting satisfaction and we take hold of the unending satisfaction found in knowing and following our Lord. We enjoy salvation by communion with God through the one mediator, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, the one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. In the words of David Platt, we fight an increasing desire for things with an increasing delight in Christ. You know, Paul knew this. Which is why he said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to need more. And I know what it is to have plenty. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I can do all this through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. See, healthy Christians are satisfied in Jesus. Are you satisfied in Jesus? Is he enough? Turn to Christ today. Turn to Jesus today. Return to Jesus today. Delight in Him. He is enough. Healthy churches submit to Jesus. May we be a body of believers. May we be a church 
May we be a household of faith that continually listens to and bows before our King. Jesus Christ is supreme and He is sufficient. He is supreme and He is sufficient. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, when heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Friends, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Let me return to the questions with which I began. Is Jesus your all in all? Is your ultimate hope found in Christ alone? Are you standing on the solid ground of faith in the one Lord and one Savior, Jesus Christ? Jesus is supreme and he is sufficient. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life, for the gift of abundant life here and now as we are brought near to you, as we are reconciled to you by your grace through the gift of the gospel. Father, we thank you that you are a God who meets our needs, that you are a God who has and does and will continue to provide for your people, that you are a God who is rich in grace. Lord, we thank you that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for our sake, that in him we might become rich. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering as your people and we thank you for the privileges of doing so openly without fear here in this nation. And Father, we thank you that your church will go forth or that your church will continue to grow in this land and across the earth because your gospel is unstoppable, because you have promised it to be, Lord, because you are working to grow your kingdom. Lord, use us in your plans for your glory. And Father, this morning, may we continue to worship King Jesus. May we recognize his supremacy and his sufficiency in our lives. Lord, lead us to your throne. Lead us to worship you, to respond to you. Even now, Lord, as we stand, as we sing, as we confess, as we pray, as we turn to Christ. And then later, Lord, as we go, may we be about your business. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.